Welcome back into your story, a conversation about you and what makes you you and why you choose to do what you do. It's all about your purpose, not mine or anyone else's. Everyone has a purpose, so let's visit about you. This episode is all about one of the legendary sports figures in St. Joseph, Greg Kastner. He's a Hall of Famer, a former pitcher in the Atlanta Braves organization, and so much more. This is his story, his playing career, coaching career, and why he just can't stay retired. So let's get to it. I guess kind of what we can start with is the, the big news in St. Joe, uh, new owner of the Mustangs, Kai Turner, you know, taking over as the owner now and kicking Dan to the curb, so to speak, is uh, taking over as the new owner. It's kind of a change. Uh, well, yeah, you know, it was a logical decision. And I thank Dan for, for bringing back the Mustangs because the, the couple years that the Saints were gone, it was like torture around there. I didn't have anything to do. But it was kind of a easy transition and I, you know, I have no idea, you know, how everything went down, but uh, I, you know, I think it's, it's a great idea. Kai's been in with the, with the Mustang since, it, you know, Dan brought him here and he knows how to run the run, run everything. He's done everything from this to that. So it's just an, a logical process. And, and Kai is smart enough. Let me tell you that it, and being a businessman and being the things that he does with the Mustangs that, you know, he will be only as good as the people he hires to work under him. And I think that's the key. And he's pretty sharp when it comes to that. He's got a lot of good ideas and, and I think he'll be a great owner. I, I, I don't know if he will, you know, relinquish some of his GM stuff. If he'll have somebody come on to help, you know, I, you know, I don't know if, or if it's just the owner, he just now pays the bills, you know, I don't know what all that is going to in, entail with him now. It's uh, kind of amazing when you think about just, you know, Mustang's only been around 12 years, but the impact they've made. I, I don't know if people quite grasp maybe what impact that's been. I mean, I barely remember the Saints type of stuff. I kind of remember the Black Snakes is from, you know, reading and everything like that. But I think – my formative years has been mostly the Mustangs. And I mean, I interned for them and everything too, but they, they seem like they've really, I don't want to say changed things, but maybe expanded on already the history of baseball in St. Joe too. Yeah. I, I think what it brings is a, is a community is a team is, is a, the people cling to it. And, you know, the, the even the younger kids, the high school kids, uh, they're getting into it because Johnny's doing a great job and Matt did a great job of, of getting the local kids to play. And when you get the local kids to play, you're going to get the, the local people. And not only when I say local, I'm not just meaning St. Joe, but the surrounding right. area. And, and the people here in town, you know, want something to grasp onto that they can hold onto that, that they can claim, you know, this is our team. This is who we are. This is kind of like, you know, the Chiefs in Kansas City. I know we're up here and I know they practice here, but it's still the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, this is the St. Joe Mustangs. This is our signature of and not only statewide, but nationwide. I mean, yeah. you look at people back even when I was, you know, had the opportunity to be with the Saints as a general manager and all the things that I did there. 
it's to the point now where the Mustangs, people, players, I should say, want to come here. And when you have coaches calling you, your job is pretty easy. Well, <laughs> makes it easier. Right. But I, I think, you know, it, the impact it has is, is the fact that the people have somewhere to go. It's great entertainment. Uh, they put a good product on the field. You know, championships are great. They're, we're going to show up. The people are going to show up. And what Kai has done with all the, the promotions and everything, and all the, it, it just gives the community uh, that something to do that maybe a bigger town doesn't have. And I, and I think that's, that's great for the community because, it, again, it's something they wrap around. It's St. Joe Mustangs. I love the Chiefs, but it's not the St. Joe Chiefs. I kind of want to expand on kind of what you're talking about there with uh, St. Joe and kind of the pride in it. Kai was talking about that, that, and I'm guilty of this as anybody, kind of, we'll dog on St. Joe, some of the things that are wrong in town and the issues there, but this is something that the town takes pride in, and maybe it's something to where people start looking at more of the positive stuff and not just, you know, oh, it's St. Joe, or oh, St. Joe's out of the guinea, you know, those type of things that we all do, but at the same time, there's a lot of good stuff around, too. You know, I, 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 I... And I know you're you know, a, me a media person, but and you know as well as I do, a lot of times, and I'm, I'm not knocking the paper or any media, but you know, we always see in the paper so much negativity of, of what's going on everywhere. <laughs> and I think that the positive things that the St. Joe Mustangs bring out, like you said, is it's huge. And that's the thing that people want to hang on to. I get tired of reading all the negative things. I'm, I get, to, I know, you know, we're going through the COVID thing, and I know we have to deal with it, but it's just so negative. And what goes on with, you know, all the things, the tragedies that go along in, in town. But the Mustangs are a positive thing for this town. The Mustangs are what pulls this town together as a positive influence of being around, being at the game. Having fun. I mean, the Mustangs, I, I guess more than anything, it's a fun thing to do. It's kind of the thing to do. I have season tickets, okay? That's a great thing to have. Come with me. Come join. You know, you have people come out of town. Hey, you want some fun? And, and I wish somehow maybe, you know, all the motels in town would, would have the schedules up or have, you know, and I don't maybe they do. I mean, that's a promotion thing that is what – if I go visit somewhere – course i when i go visit we travel we do like to look for places that have minor league teams within the area you know i've been to the daytona beach cubs the myrtle beach pelicans the wilmington royals the uh panama the pensacola i mean we look at places that are and we go to those games so well when people come to st joe to visit and you know what can you do for entertainment go to the mustangs game it's great entertainment good players uh it's very it's not expensive as going to a professional game but you're going to have fun being there you're going to enjoy it you're going to talk about it and and it's a good experience i'm sure we'll talk about mustangs quite a bit more throughout this is kind of back and forth and somehow it'll wind its way back to kai most conversations somehow do that i have with people this kai somehow gets brought up in anything i talk about but going back to you a little bit um 
Hard to say retired, isn't it? I'm supposed to be retired. Yeah, um, I say it's hard to say retired, isn't it? Uh, there's no such word. I guess my life, and I guess that's just the way I was brought up. My father was, you know, you work, and I don't know any other life. I, you know, when I first started out uh, after playing ball and getting my first job, you know, I coached every sport. I was in a small public school north of St. Joe and Fillmore. And I coach all junior high sports. I coach all high school sports. So the hours, you know, I don't think people realize the amount of hours you put in. And then, you know, got the opportunity to be at LeBlanc. Well, you know, when I was at LeBlanc, I, I taught six classes a day, was a full-time AD, assistant coach, head basketball coach, head baseball coach, assistant janitor, bus driver. So I don't know any other life other than staying busy. So when it came time to retiring, I retired only partially. And when I did announce my retirement, I remember uh, Bill Myers, who was the executive secretary treasurer of the MEC conference. I think he had just turned 80 and he said, you know, I saw where you retired. How would you like to uh, take over my job as executive secretary of the MEC conference? So I said, well, okay. So I, I, I assume those duties. And then uh, I needed a place to work. And Jeff Sullivan was the principal there at LeBlanc. And I said, you know, Coach Burton had just recently passed away. And I knew his office was open. I said, do you mind if I use that as a place to go? And he said, well, not a problem. Your computer's boxed over there. We'll just take it over there. Your phone's over there. You keep your address. So I work out of there. And I continue to drive the bus and kind of as a kind of, you know, a guy that may have some answers for the principals or help Michael when he started and help Mitch are always asking questions and things pop up. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm there to help, uh, football games. I'm there, soccer games. I'm there, basketball games. I'm there, baseball games. I, so sports have just always been a part of my life. LeBlanc has been a huge part of my life. And I think, when Dr. Dominguez ever has to give me a blood transfusion, he'll probably have to find purple blood somewhere. <laughs> you, you talk about just not being able, you know, to quit, just kind of do that old retirement of, I'm not going to do anything today. Like, it's just going to be, why, why is that so hard maybe for you just to kind of enjoy what you've earned? Cause I mean, like you, I mean, you rattled off 15 jobs there that you were holding at one time and, You've earned the right to, you know, do nothing. I, I, I just think it comes from my, from the passion of what I have for kids. And, you know, I, I think what I brought out as a coach and I tried to explain to my athletes, my, my players was, you know, I've had the opportunity to have my day in the sun. I've had that. I enjoy now watching kids, athletes today have their day in the sun. And that's enjoyment for me. And as much as I can do to be around that, and I'm not just talking about LeBlanc. I drive for Benton, Lafayette, et cetera. I drive for all the high schools. And so 
I get to know those kids and I stay involved in, and I know I'm going to be turning, believe it or not, 70, even though I look about 40. Um, 35, 35. <laughs> thank you. Um, you. We'll talk about that later and I'll buy you one for that. Um, <laughs> but it, it keeps me going. It keeps me young. And as long as my health is, is the way it is and, and I have very good health, but I, I, I stay active. I just have to be active and, more now than ever to bring up a little story you know my wife did pass away a few months ago and so it's it's important for me to stay busy uh to always be involved i have to be involved in something and and like i said whether it's being on the announcing i love doing that being on the chain gang uh then when that's over i go right into the mustangs and i gotta have a great time doing that and it's like okay like today, it's it's a semi day off because I don't ha I don't have to drive a bus today, and I don't have to uh, uh, have a home game today, which makes it kind of a boring day. But I do have to pick up my grandkids at school and watch them till the parents come out. So I get to play with my grandkids today. So we're going to have fun today. So I still get to be around them today, and then we'll go out to dinner tonight. But you know, I get to catch up on my. Uh, Skip and Shannon and Colin Cowherd today and <laughs> and do things like this. But I, I just think that, you know, I, I, I guess for no other thing, God gave me, uh, blessed me with the talent of athleticism. And I think you give back as much as was given to me. And I was given a lot. And I think it's my turn to give back. And I'm giving back as much as I can when I can. I think quite a few people know your story. I, at least I hope they do. And you and I talked about this summer about, you know, your baseball career and just how close things were to, you know, the, the major league level, everything, but, you know, elbow and everything else at a time when I'm not trying to age you when Tommy John surgery was a little bit unknown more than anything else is probably the right word unknown. I mean, you're one of St. Joe's, you know, most legendary i'll call it that most legendary you know athletes to come through i mean triple a and the braves organization through there and you had to have a better elbow i guess what it came down to <laughs> uh I, I i i appreciate the compliments uh chris i really do um i never i get embarrassed sometimes i kind of like to okay thank That's you very much and, and I do appreciate that, but, you know, I, you know, we're all blessed with certain abilities. Uh, some people have the ability to be great pianists or, or great artists. And, and, you know, really I envy those people because I really was not very good at art and music. And, and I love going in speech and debate. I drive the speech and debate bus. I love going and watching that. I love going to the theater. I mean, my my things that I do on the side is the things that I could not do that I was not gifted. I would just happen to be sports minded and I love being able to watch people perform to do the things that I could do. And I, I just, like I said, we're all given certain talents and what you do with those talents uh, is, is, you know, your choice. I mean, I, I've seen a lot of young men and a lot of young ladies in this town, town have a lot of talent and, 
seemed to fall into the wrong group. I was fortunate enough that I had a strong family background and, and great coaches and a great support group and was able to move on and, and fortunate enough to, to do what I was able to do. And, and I, I, like I said, all of us have a, has a, have a calling and, uh, I, and I really truly believe and that, you know, we're uh, not, not to be get all, I, and I don't mean this negatively religious, but, you know, we're all put here for a reason. And I had the opportunity, yes, to play ball. And I got, to, you know, I, I was able to play, but maybe my calling in life, that wasn't what I was put here for. My, I was put here to do what I'm doing. And that was to coach and to do these things. And that's how things happened. And, you know, the injury happened. Okay. Now, what am I going to do from this? It's just like applying for jobs. There were reasons why maybe I didn't get jobs every year that I applied. All of a sudden, the blonde opens. And, okay, I get that job. Maybe there was a reason, you know, you, you know, I think back of my, my life and, and moments like that, that happened. And I, I believe that that was why I was, that's why I'm here. Um, things just didn't happen. Tommy John wasn't a surgery then. And I had the opportunity. It didn't work out. What I'm doing out has worked out for the best for me, for my family with for everybody and i like i said i i find myself with you know a person with a lot of energy uh i i love being around the kids i i love to teach i love to coach i i, I love to help them out I, I love to watch their success i mean i just it, it motivates me and i think that's my motivation to keep going and i'm going to keep going uh, as long as i can chris i i'm just going to keep going and God willing, I keep doing this another 10, 15, 20 years. I don't know. We'll see. I hope I am. And my my grandpa had a body shop open until he was 83. And he's he's 86 now. And he was you no know, sometimes, you know, 83, 84, we're out there making sure everything was going well, but he was quick to kind of push us back because he'd had it for so long. So yeah, keep driving the bus and everything as long as you can. But I, I want you to uh maybe not be so modest here for a second. Going back to your playing days a little bit, what what's a memory or something that really stands out about your, you know, professional run? Or is there a certain story or memory that you have that just, oh, man, it's really cool to think about? Well, you know, we could. Well, I, I guess probably the just given the opportunity to have a scout, professional scout, come into your living room and talk to you and say you've been drafted by the Atlanta Braves and uh, flew down to Atlanta and showed you around and uh, offered a contract, signed a contract, you know, flew you down. Then you start playing. Then you meet people from, you know, from all over the world, all over the United States and, and Puerto Rico and the, the Dominican and get to know all those people and the players. And I, and I guess probably if you said, and what, what you're going to find out if you talk to anybody that's ever had the opportunity to play the minor leagues, as you start out 
in A ball or rookie ball, maybe the fields aren't the best and the transportation isn't the best. But then as you work your way up, the fields get a little better. The transportation gets a little better. The meal money gets a little better. I, t- I And I can tell you the stories, and I think we we mentioned this before, when I was in rookie ball, I was, I, you know, I was fortunate enough to only be there for about three weeks because I, I got the opportunity to move up quick. And uh, we would go on the road and stay, you know, stay in towns. I tell you, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going off on a tangent here. Bull Durham <laughs> um, is about as close to real life movie of really what happens in the minor leagues. And I know there's a different storyline, but, Really, that does go on. You drive into a town at 3 o'clock in the morning, get off the bus, you play three or four games, you get on the bus, you drive 12, 15 hours to the next town. But anyway, so when the coach says, here's $5, meal money, well, I just thought that was for the meal. No, that was $5 for the day. (laughs) So rookie ball, I was given $5, and that was supposed to last me all day on the road. I just thought that was per meal. But anyway, so as you got along, so that you know that's a story. But I, I guess probably, I shouldn't say my biggest claim to fame, but probably my one story that I always like to tell was uh, the year that uh, the Braves signed their number one pick by a guy named Dale Murphy, and I'm sure everybody knows him. Well, I had pitched the night before, and my coach was Hoyt Wilhelm, and I, if you've heard of Hoyt Wilhelm, and he said we have just signed our number one pick you pitched last night. Do you mind going to the airport to picking him up? I said, yeah. So I, I, I got this little cardboard box, that, you know, like you see at the airports, you pull into the airport, you see all these names, you know, kind of like on Seinfeld in my hair. So I've got this little thing saying Dale Murphy. And I'm just sitting there waiting for this guy. I have no idea who he is. And so I go, Dale Murphy. Oh, Dale Murphy. Glad to meet you. I'm Greg Kastner. Uh, supposed to take you back, come in. And so, uh, he became a roommate, and Dale went on. Obviously, it should be in the Hall of Fame. It's a sin that he's not, and he is still very involved in baseball. And it, it's funny, and I'm going to tell the story that we parted ways. You know, he went on to better, greater things, and had a great career at the pro level. But my last year of coaching, and I belong to the ABCA, which is the American Baseball. Coaches Association, which is uh, high school and college coaches for all in the United States. And they always had a big convention every year. And I tried to go. And the last year that I went was in uh, Nashville. And I just had dinner and I was walking down the runway there at the Opryland Hotel. And I saw this guy coming from the check uh, the, the, the check-in place. And I went, Dale Murphy. And he looked at me and he said, yes. I said, well, Dale, you may not remember, but I'm going to tell you the story. So got into it. And he goes, yeah, great. How are you doing? He goes, have you seen such and such lately? I you know I just talked to whoever and I just talked to him and it just went on. It was just like we picked up where we left off. And it, and it was just like, yeah, I remember playing and you know, whatever happened, what are you doing? And, and, you know, he thought that was great that, you know, his path went this way, but your path went that way. And it was great that the number of lives that you touched, what you were doing. 
and it, it, and we went on and I and I, and had my picture we take with him and had a chance to meet with him and have breakfast with him and it just so happened that one of the speakers also happened to be one of my idols John Smokes and I said Dale I really would like to meet John no problem so I got to meet John Smokes oh my god I was in heaven <laughs> that's awesome you know just like you know Kevin Cosner, you know, in Field of Dreams, is this heaven? Well, I was there. So I know what heaven was like. So got to talk to John. Not not very long. We just a few things. And I say, any tips? And he, he gave me a few things about, you know, how to chart players in the preseason and, and game little things that you could do to help pitchers out to become better. But, you know, just five or six, seven minutes, I was able to talk to him. But, God, that was heaven. To see Dale and to meet John Schmoltz. It couldn't have been any better. It couldn't have been any better way to end my last year of coaching. So and anyway. That's, and that's why you retired from coaching because you couldn't talk. That's why because hey, it couldn't got any better than that. <laughs> there it is. I'm gonna we're gonna stick with baseball a little bit here and maybe get opinionated both of us here with the major league baseball. Um we're in a lockout, so I guess that's kind of the point number one. What's the biggest thing facing baseball right now? Like there's, it just seems like there's a mess all over the place and can't get out of its own way half the time of things like I, my personal opinion is that the players union is so strong and they are so controlling that they are making it hard for players to not stay unified. I mean, the union is so, I, I don't know how to put it, but that's what's driving the costs up of games and all these player salaries are just, to me, are getting, not that, not that somebody's not worth, you know, a few million dollars, but we're seeing guys signing $10 million uh, 10-year, $250 million or 10-year, $300 million contracts. I'm going $30 million a year. And, you know, you break that down to a per at bat. And, and you know, we've all seen that stat or per strikeout. It's like, you know, how much money do you have to make? How much money do you have to make? I, I, I'm not begrudging players or any person to make a good living. But, I, you know, I, I don't have to, why it's it just, they're, they're just pushing it to the limit and it just keeps going and going and going. And somewhere, you know, the owners, and I know the, the TVs and that's, that just keeps driving costs up. And I just wish kind of like the, the, the movie that Kevin Costner in that didn't get a lot of, a lot of notoriety. And I think it's one of the great baseball movies and, and and books is for the love of the game. And I don't know if you've seen that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah. And, and I think the ending and when he signs the ball, it says, tell him I'm done for the love of the game. That's what it's supposed to be. You play for the love of the game. You play hurt. You play and you, you just play because you love the game. And that's the way I was brought up. And – and I'm like I said, I'm not begrudging all the the money that they're making. Uh, I, I came at the wrong time, I guess. 
and but that's okay. But I, I, I just think that the union, the players' union, is sometimes forced, not forcing players, but if you know you're in a union like that, it's hard not to get out and not to say and not to stay locked out because you know my salary is going to go from 1.2 million to 5 million because if we stay locked out, the owners are going to give in. Well, that's good for them, but it's bad for the game of baseball. We've, we've kind of lost track of what baseball, the old, old guys, I'm talking even older than me, way back when that did, you know, like the Cy Youngs and the Babe Ruths and Lou Gehrig's playing for the love of the game that got, you know, that took sal- that took salary reductions because they didn't produce. Now, if you want to pay salaries based on production, let's do that. <laughs> you produce, we'll play. You know, you win 20 games, we'll play. You know, we'll pay you. Yeah. But if you're going to, if you're going to, I'm giving you $20 million and you're going to be on the DL for half the season, but still get paid, that's not right. And I, and I think it's hurt baseball. And I think in general, it's hurt people's love for the game like me and people like me, the passion that we have for the game, maybe for professional baseball has changed just a little bit because of it. That, I hope that all makes sense. Yeah, and I, I, I read a book. I got to remember the name of it. It's, it's, it's probably right back behind me somewhere here. And it went through that entire lockout in the 90s of just how strong the players union became. And it kind of feels like the ownership's kind of maybe resentful of that still. I mean, neither side's going to want to budge in anything. And we saw that the last couple of years whenever there were so many guys not being signed because teams were not, they didn't say they were doing it, but they weren't signing people. They weren't doing it. And we kind of knew this was coming. My concern is, is that when you have a sport that's fan base is aging kind of over 50 years old as the average, and yeah, I mean, three and a half hours for a game is a very long time. I, I have a short attention span, so I can't sit through a lot of things anyway. But they don't see baseball doesn't seem to embrace a lot of new technology or the social media stuff. I, I don't know. I feel like they're fall, they're definitely falling behind the NFL and maybe to a certain extent the NBA in some aspects because I don't know if it's a we know what we're doing, but it's like you're not getting the new fan base in very much either. Yeah, I, it, it is hard to sit there for the length of the game. I, I, I will admit there, there, there has to be some ways. And I know, you know, when we – some things that that happened in the NBC tournament back when we 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 used to go that was you in between pitches and I don't know if you if you had, had ever had the opportunity to go to Wichita to the NBC tournament but there was a little clock out there and you had like 15 seconds between each pitch so in other words if I was not ready to pitch the ball in that 15 seconds, it was ball one. If the batter was not in the batter's box, it was strike one. Infield, you had 60 seconds on that clock. That was for the pitcher to get out there to do his warm-ups and to take infield. You weren't ready, ball one. Right. 
Okay, you were penalized things like that. So that they they kept on a pretty strict time frame, and you know, in and out of the box, and and I I think, and I'm hey, I'm here. I'm not I'm not there coaching professional baseball, but you know, sometimes I just go. Okay, I put in a right-handed hitter, so I'm going to bring in a right-handed pitcher. I put in a left-handed hitter, I'm going to bring in a left. I've got a lefty to only pitch the righties. I got a righty can only pitch the lefties. I got, I got this. I'm going. Come on, it's over managing sometimes. I mean, just play the game, let the pitcher pitch, and and you know the people in the crowd they 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 get tired of constantly saying, you know changes and pitchers only you know pitching so many innings and we've got to bring in a reliever then he gets more pitches and then we got to change this we got to change that just and i think it's just the it's what's drawn out games and and it's just not entertaining for the younger generation like you said and they don't like to sit around the younger kids want to be involved and and attention span like you said it's it's just not there and that's why the NFL and, and, and probably the NBA have done a better job and baseball is falling way behind. And, and I think it's getting further behind and with the lockout people are, and I'll be one of them. And I'm not to say that I'm not that how much money do you have to make to play? And people aren't liking that. Uh, you know, you know, given Mahomes a 10 year, 150 was a $150 million contract. 500 million. A lot. Huh? 500 million. Five hundred million dollars. Okay, that's one. But you know, that's his taking a beating is a little bit different than me pitching every five days. And but anyway, I, I just think that people, uh, younger people, older people, to the fact to where they're tired of all these people wanting more money, wanting more money, wanting more money when they're when they're going, you know, how much do you have to really make? Come on. And the owner's hands are tied, like was said by the union and baseball games do last entirely too long. There's got, there has to be some ways and, and, but they're all, they're against technology and really what's wrong with having the computer screen behind there to call balls and strikes. I mean, for the most part, really the home plate umpire, if you watch a game, is 90 some percent accurate anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they are. Yeah. But okay. I, and I think somewhere they experimented with having in the minor leagues this past year of doing that. And I, I don't, I, I, I have not read how that's gone, but in this is the big leagues. You don't go into extra innings and put a runner at second base. I mean, come on. You do I mean, that when you're in T ball or Little League, this is the major leagues. To me, that was what they were trying to get excitement or something. They were trying to do that. That was one of their – this will bring more excitement to us. I'm on, on second, sure, maybe it did, but that's that's not that's a short-term gain of how often are we going to get extra innings. I mean, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but it was a exactly. – I, that I was don't really know short. why, but yeah. I and but more than more than anything, I, I it's for people is the length of the game. Like you said, the average game is probably three hours. Somehow, that's you know in and out of the box, and it's got to change. And and the 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 over analytical coaches, 
the analytics, baseball is a most, and I am one of them, statistical sports, you know, you, everything is based on time, speed, average, and that's, you know, that's what you use and you go by those stats. I mean, that's, that's how Vegas is built. You know, they don't, they don't build a Bellagio for a billion dollars and everybody goes out of there winner. Somebody <laughs> loses, you know what I mean? I mean, they have stats that say nine out of every 10 that walk out that door are going to lose. So 90% of that, you know, that machine, you're not going to win. Yeah. We're going to give away a lot of money, but we're going to bring in a lot more. We're going to build another billion dollar casino. But anyway, how I got on that, I don't know, but it's a statistic thing. And statistics is just taking over baseball instead of just letting the game take over and be itself and just go along with the game and, and quit being so analytical, statistical about it. So you're not a fan of the movie Moneyball then? No. <laughs> I love that movie. So we're going to disagree on that one. <laughs> I, I'm both. I told you, I told you, you know, really, and I, I truly mean this. I, and I know, Bull Durham, you know, that there's some side things that go on, but really the, the aspects of really of playing in the minor leagues and traveling and doing those things, that was as real and as close to reality as there was. But the movie that, uh, that really, again, that I love the most was, was for the love of the game. And, and I, I it's one of my favorite movies, but anyway, because that's, that's why he played it was for the love of the game. And, and that's why I played, and that's why I wish everybody would play. It was for the love of the game. I'm a big, so I'm a big fan of, big fan of major league, but huh? I'm a big fan of major league. But you know, those aren't quite exactly you know the, the same. Oh, <laughs> they right. aren't built the same as the other ones. But right. um, get you out of here in a little bit. Here, a couple more conversation pieces. Well, kind of getting more into you. You travel a lot and kind of go on vacations and everything. Favorite place to go. Daytona Beach, Florida, and would be number one. Uh, I love the beaches, great seafood. Uh, we've been to our family. Is, okay, so I've, I've got to think here. My daughter, I don't want to say my daughter's age. Uh, I'll have to do the math. So for this coming year, it would be our 33rd summer vacation to the beach. And Daytona is probably that Myrtle Beach would be the top two. There's we love seafood and fresh seafood and the beaches and it are just there's nothing better than spending a week or two sitting in a chair under an umbrella or canopy, have quaffing a few root beers or margaritas, just enjoying the, the breeze, watching the people away from life and having fresh seafood, going to the fresh seafood market and, and having great seafood and just taking a nap in the middle. Just, I mean, there's nothing more refreshing than being at the beach. Life at the beach is nothing better than life at the beach. So Daytona beach would be number one, Myrtle beach would be number two, but any beach, as long as it's an ocean, not a lake, <laughs> well, because there are beaches at the lakes, yes, I'm talking the ocean. There's nothing better, nothing better. 
I've been to Hilton Head a couple of times, but man, it, it's yeah. it's it's a tough toss up because I've been to Banff National Park in Canada. Buddies and I went there, and it, it's hard to beat the the mountain ranges and everything too. I mean, I, we went to Hilton Head twice. We went to Banff once, and it's a I could spend I could hide in the mountains forever. Like no one could ever. I would be okay with no one finding me. Just have like a cabin up there. But yeah, there's something about the beaches too, where it's just like. As long as it's not overcrowded, where it's just calm and you can just hang out there too. Yeah, you know, that's just everybody has reasons. I, I know there's a lot of people that love to go snow skiing, and to me, I don't think I want to be going down hill, down a mountain when it's three or four degrees and a bunch of snow and ice, and I'm freezing. When I can go to a beach where it's 85, 90, 95, never be cold, never have to wear gloves, just wear shorts and a hat and a pair of glasses. I may put it this way. It gets, it's my age now. It's just about where the cutoff is. It gets below 70. I get cranky. <laughs> I was going to say, so you weren't a cold weather pitcher then, were you? Uh, no, no. I actually really, believe it or not, I preferred back in my day when I was at pitching at Missouri Western to pitch in the cold weather for one reason. Hitters hated it. You ever hit back in the day when you play wood and you jam them inside and you know it just sting their hands at those aluminum bats? Yeah. Hitters, I think, I, I give me a cold day any day to pitch because I think it's easier because you stay warm. But those hitters, that bat stings because I know how it was with our players. And, you know, you just go, oh, wow, swing the bat. But anyway, yeah, I, I I love to pitch on cold days. In I, fact, go ahead. No, no, go, you're fine. You're perfectly fine. Uh, one, one of the biggest stories talking about cold weather was uh, when I first met my future wife at the time. Uh, it was her birthday. It was April 14th, and I remember the exact day, April 14th, 1973. We were playing Northeast Missouri State at Philwell Stadium, and it was a light snow, and I pitched a no-hitter that day. And I told her after the game, I said, well, that's a birthday present for you, hon. And she said, you threw a no-hitter for me? I said, yeah. I said, I got to marry this woman. And she's, <laughs> she'll believe anything I told her. So for the next 40 years, that was kind of a story, kind of, that you know, our little thing that I threw a no-hitter on her birthday. And I wooed her, and I won her over. I was going to say, did she believe everything you said there from there on out? Do what? Did she believe everything you said from there on out, or did you realize? Uh, I, think, I, I, I think she learned. I think she had a hard time knowing when I was telling. For the next forty years of our lives, she had a hard time telling when I was telling the truth and when I wasn't. <laughs> so sometimes that worked. There you go. Uh, but not always. We dated eight years before I got married. Before we ended up getting married, so we were together forty-eight years, but we were married forty. But because she had to finish school and she went, uh, she had to finish and I was playing ball. And, but anyway, uh, that's just a little sidekick about pitching and being in the cold weather, but that's just a story I had to tell. No, absolutely. Uh, favorite book. Favorite book. Yep. For the love of the game. Oh, I, that'd be my favorite sports book, but uh, really, I think it would be, the book that was written by uh, Buck O'Neill, I Was Just on Time. I and, need to read that. I need to read that one. Oh, to, he was here, I, and I had the opportunity to be at a couple of 
of events that he spoke at and he was promoting a, that book at the time and I got him to sign it and I went home and started reading it and it was three or four in the morning and I read the entire book. Wow. It is just fascinating. I am fascinating with Negro league baseball. I mean, the passion they had and what they had to go through. You just, you felt for what baseball was the, they so against them, not allowing them to play and all the stories and all the players and all the great players that they had that didn't. I mean, God, I'd love to see Josh Gibson hit. Yeah. I mean, he was supposed to be one of the greatest home run hitters of all time. And, and, and people like uh, uh, Satchel Page that uh, just unbelievable and, and, and cool pop about. But anyway, he talks about all these and all the little stories like we're talking about, you know, that he actually tells about in his book about, you know, him and Satchel sneaking out or him and Josh doing it you know, all just, it, it's just a great book and I couldn't put it down. I, I would say that, that, you know, that, that was one of my favorite books. Yes. For whatever reason, when I, like when I was younger, I mean, growing up with a dad as a coach and everything too, just reading sports books and found Satchel Page book. I found, Josh Gibson. I, I don't even know where I, where it started with Josh Gibson, but I was just always fascinated with him because grew up with, you know, home run hitters, Barry Bonds, Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron. But I was like, everybody says Josh Gibson may have been even better than them. So, and I was, yeah, I mean, and that's what I had to like read up on. So I was like, okay, he's better than those three. Yeah. And Buck O'Neill. And, and, and in his book or in, in, in listening to a lot of his stories, uh, you know, he, as a scout and, and, and a player, but he always added one person who he thought that could have been in, in that scheme of a player, I mean, that great of a player, but this guy ended up choosing two sports, and that was Bo Jackson. He said Bo Jackson hit the ball about as hard he said one day he was at spring training and he heard a ball come off the bat. And he said, oh, my God, who is this guy? He said he said he hadn't heard anything like that since Josh Gibson. And he said Bo Jackson could have been like that. But Bo was, is, let me face it, Bo was one of the greatest athletes I mean, to do what he did. Yeah. And, but he said the baseball player that Bo Jackson could have been was unbelievable. So, but anyway. So do you have an, uh, another favorite book, non-sports related, or is that? Yeah, kind of um, <laughs> believe it or not, back when I was uh, going through to getting my master's degree and, and uh, way back when, one of the professors uh, was talking about Zig Ziglar and a book called See You at the Top. And it's a motivational book. And it's another one of those books that I refer to. It sits in my, in my uh, office there that I refer to quite frequently. And, I, and it's, uh, uh, he's a, a minister, but Zig Ziglar was very good at, at motivation and, and doing things. And it really motivated me in a lot of the things that I kind of uh, applied to my life came from a lot of the things, you know, that, that he talked about in the book see you at the top. Uh, I, I would say that's a, that's a, a book, a must read book. If you're uh, wanting a motivational type book is see you at the top by Zig Ziglar. 
advice you would give to a young coach in this day and age? Go to as many baseball clinics as you can because you'll never know everything. I thought I was a good coach until I started going to these and I'm going, wow, I didn't know I, we could do that. I didn't know I should be doing this. But as a young coach, I would suggest join the ABCA, go to these national conventions, and you will become a better coach. Advice for – what stick with St. Joe uh, young kids that are kind of – in any sport for that matter, because I know it, it's been kind of an interesting few years across the board for all the schools, even LeBlanc, St. Joe Christian, and, and obviously the public schools that – uncertainty and things changing constantly what's advice that you would give to a kid that is kind of in the middle of all this that the adults are making decisions around them you know probably the biggest thing I, i guess i would tell a kid is that if you have a passion for a specific area and it doesn't have to be sports i'm not just whatever it is, and like I said, music or theater, then you have to go where your heart takes you, and you're only going to get out of anything what you put into it. You can't go into anything haphazardly. You're either all in or you're none in, because if you're half in, you're not going to get anything out of it. So if you're going to do it, do it at 100%. Then you'll get something out of it, and it doesn't. And but you you have to buy in. You have to be all in if you want to be successful. If you want to be the best lawyer, if you want to be the best pianist, if you want to be the best violin player, if you want to be the best basketball player. That doesn't mean that does not necessarily mean you have to be a professional. But what even in high, just be the best that you can be. Put in the time the effort, but you got to buy in and be all in. If you're not all in, then it's not worth doing. You've got to be all in. And so I'm, so I'm telling you as a young athlete to be all in or don't be in it at all. Simple question, deeper meaning. What is your why? My what? Your why. My what, why? Yeah, why – Coach, why just in life? What was your reason for everything? My why was probably probably the love I have for being around other people, and and I think we talked about this early. The why I do what I do is I want to see kids or young adults have successes. I want to see them enjoy life. I mean, and one of the things in the book that Zig Ziglar talked about, I'm going to revert back real quick. It says, you're going to be dead longer than you're going to be alive. So you better find out how you want to spend your life. So, I think that answers my why. Good enough for me. That that's, that's that's deeper than what I think probably a lot of people are going to think when they hear that as well. Okay, got to think about that a little bit longer now. But 
All right, I'll get you out of here on this question. Favorite song on your uh, DJ playlist that we get at LeBlanc every game? Bands you haven't given me any new ones. I would say... Uh, I get a lot of people every time I go to a game, even for the holiday tournament, they're like, have you noticed the songs in? I'm like, yep, I've noticed a few of them already. I've heard them three times. We're good. Uh, I, I, jump, Living on a Prayer, uh, Dire Straits. Uh, I got a feeling tonight's going to be a good night. You know, I, I, I try to at times, like, you know, my house, like kind of our entry song when we play or – kind of get the girls, the guys, mother, you know, tonight's going to be a good night, you know, tonight's going to, and, and then, you know, this is our house, but, you know, jump and, and you're, li you know, the living on a prayer. But anyway, I, I would say, and, and if you watch the Dire Straits video of, uh, well, what's the name? I can't even think of the name of the song. Um, 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 but anyway, but the video has a lot of sports clips in there, but you have to watch the video. And that's probably why I, I probably, and it was a, it's a good karaoke song that I used to sing to. <laughs> but I did karaoke back in the day. All right. Favorite song to karaoke. We're going to keep this going then. What favorite song? Oh, karaoke? I actually, because of my voice, my, I would say Lukenbach, Texas, uh, uh, some uh, Waylon and Johnny Cash because of my, my voice, uh, a little bit to the lower side, I could do those quite well. So uh, a lot of Waylon and uh, a lot of Johnny Cash songs I love to do. Look at Bach, Texas is one of my favorites. Going back to your playlist real quick, since I give you a hard time about it now, and everybody kind of knows that we can just kind of go back and forth with it. How, how long is the playlist? How many songs are in that playlist? Uh, I say 10, but that's just been the running joke of this. How playlist. many? 10. <laughs> About 65. I'll tell everybody, they'll ask me, how long, How many songs in there? I'm like, ah, probably about yeah. nine. Now, come on. See, here, here's what now, I, now I'm, I'm not – I love how you come to the games, but <laughs> you come to the game at a certain time. Yes. Then I know you have other things that you have to do. Yes. And then you come back. So what you're hearing is a start over of yeah. what – the other 65 that you missed, it's just that you're catching another. Now, if you would stay there all day, I guarantee you, you would hear all 65 songs. Well, see, trust during, me. During the holiday tournament, I was there all day. I did hear all 65 songs, I think, twice. But there are some that I do play more, yes, because I enjoy them more. Uh, and, and really, I have, I know kids can listen to what they, what they want to. And that's fine. I listened to what I wanted to when I was growing up. My parents listened to they want to. And they can listen to what they want to. But the people who come to watch the game, let's face it, are the parents of the players. So I, my music is geared to the parents of the players more than it is probably to the players. And I do apologize because <laughs> some of that may not be appropriate that parents want to hear. So – I kind of cater to the crowd more than I do to the to the athlete, and maybe that's not fair or right, but that's what I do. 
And it's probably the same way I, I, when I'm at the Mustangs game, when I'm doing the announcing, I, I, I kind of cater to the, you know, trying to make it fun for the play, the people there. So I'm trying to get the music that the people want to hear the parents. Yeah. So, and I apologize to the players for not maybe playing some music that they may want to hear and not saying that even the music in, in my time was not appropriate. And, 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 and Chris, I know this is going to date me and <laughs> 35 and I, and I, I, and I don't mean, mean anything by this, but I love the song cocaine, but it didn't dawn on me till later what they, that the song was about. I mean, it didn't dawn on me. <laughs> right. Right. So, I mean, and so I went, Whoa. So that's why I can't say I'd be judgmental against what the kids listen to. And, uh, but some of it, you know, can be for parents don't want to hear it. Right. So just so that the kids who do watch this cast or, or the parents know that that's why I do what I do. Yeah. It's not nothing it's against school. it's also a school function. Nothing against the players. So just so they understand, now they understand why I do what I do. Yeah, it's also a school function, and you're not going to play just anything out there. I'm, I'm, at, I'm at a where I'm at, exactly. And all I'm hearing is you're going to add DJ to your next uh, job title. You're going to start your own DJ business. As soon, soon as uh, Greg Land retires out at the radio station, I'll take his job. I need another job. <laughs> and then you can start doing weddings, and you start doing, you know, dances and you get your own DJ. I, but but I, I need to go to uh, 94.9 in Kansas City because that's the oldie station and I'd be really good. <laughs> Alright, I'll get you out of here on this one. And this is to you to describe you in three words. How would you describe Greg Kastner in three words? Three words. Okay. Um, fun, friendly, and caring. That would do it. Perfect. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. All right. Hey, I had a great time. <laughs>